1: He didn't slam you. He didn't bump you. He didn't nudge you. He
2: rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey, race fans! Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network. Welcome to another edition of Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour or more as we take you through everything racing from the past week and preview of the coming week. Before we do that, I want to introduce you to the panel I have in the studio with me tonight. First and foremost, my good friend Mister Gray Warren. Gray, how are you? Good to have you here, Gray. Joey Barnes is in the house as well. Joey getting ready to uh, uh, head out to the Formula One race in Austin. We'll talk about that a little later. Joey, how are you?
4: Good and grumpy and ready for the show.
2: Good and grumpy, yes, yes, the Joey I know best. Christopher DeHarty in here with us. Chris, how are you?
4: I'm
1: fantastic. Looking forward to this weekend.
2: All right, and Richard Uden. Richard, back again. Richard, how you doing?
3: I'm very good. Yourself?
2: Oh, I'm doing very well. And last, but certainly not least, not least, my buddy Seth Eggert. Seth, how are you tonight?
3: No, I'm
5: doing good.
2: All right. So, um, Talladega, I mean, what, what do we have to say other than a bunch of wrecked chassis in the garage? And very few finishers. So uh, at the end of the day, I mean, it was a bit of a war of attrition. We saw a lot of good cars in the wall and in the pits and, you know, and, and behind the wall and in the garage. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, uh, the, you know, those few that survived there was Brad Keselowski, who had a pretty fast car all day, um, snatched the win from Ryan Newman, who also survived the carnage, on the last lap uh, to take that win and secure him a spot in the um, field of eight, as we the uh, next elimination round in Kansas. So uh, with no further ado, Gray, um, what are your thoughts coming out of Talladega? I mean, it's, it's always a crazy bit of a race. And, and this one, I think, set a record for consecutive red flags at the end.
6: Boy, where do I start? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, they moved this race from being the last race of the, of the second stage of the playoffs the next to last race because they didn't want they they know how how much of a wild card this can be and of course it like always uh it was prophetic they uh they tore up a bunch of equipment and uh which is a typical restrictor plate race but uh you you saw a lot of aggression from a lot of drivers uh at various times during the race and, and and that's what leads to a lot of these wrecks when they're running in close quarters um you know, and, and of course, now we go into the final race of this uh, this second stage of the playoffs with some guys uh, having to make up a lot of ground. About four at the bottom. I believe we talked it was McMurray, Stenhouse, uh, uh, who else? Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Jimmy, Bush. Oh, Kyle Matt Bush. Kansas, we've got three former champions. All they're Jimmy, in trouble. Jimmy's right on the cut line, he's, he's, he's an eighth. Yeah, and it's a lot of guys going into uh, Kansas that are going to have to, they're going to have to have decent runs, going to have to have good consistent runs, and, and of course any of those in the bottom for uh, uh, essentially going to have to win the race to get in, or or rely on some bad luck from someone else. Um, I think one of the things that really came came into uh, to to view this weekend was the new rule that we've been that we that was in, uh brought in this year about uh fixing cars the five minute clock uh that is what led to probably most of the uh, retirements in the race because a lot of those cars in, in other races would have been they would go behind the wall they would repair them and the guys would come back out and run laps uh to uh just to, to garner points but with that being said the new rule eliminated a bunch of cars and that's that's why we only had fourteen cars uh, to finish the race. Also led to a little bit of controversy. Uh, we, we saw where Jimmy Johnson questioned well his retirement when he was trying to get back in. Uh, led to a few other things. You know, once that wind net is dropped, that car is essentially, you know, out of the race. And uh, I think Jimmy and them were trying to to make some uh, to make some th- means, but where that where that trouble came into uh, the misunderstanding they had is when their car was on pit road during one of the red flags. It was announced from the tower for the cars to crank them up. Well, that's not rescinding the red flag. That's just starting the engines. And the 48 crew mistook that for uh, restarting the race and started work on the on their car. The red flag was still in effect, so. That, that that pretty much disqualified NAS, NASCAR pretty much disqualified them uh, after they started uh, uh, work on the car before they were allowed to. So that led to a little bit of controversy. But uh, in, in, in the long run, it probably didn't make a whole lot of difference because I don't think any of those cars could have really got back out and maintained minimum speed. So, But again, all these wrecks were just were just caused by guys being really, really aggressive and, and, and trying to make moves. Uh, during during the race to get to the front and position themselves and that that's usually a a recipe for disaster in some in 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 these plate races but uh i thought the finish turned out pretty good i i knew once that uh ryan newman came off the second corner with about a five car length lead uh i knew he was dead in the water then because i think probably keselowski was dragging his brake going through the second corner and allowed him to get a good run on uh Newman going down the backstretch and pull alongside of him, going through three and four and, and completing the pass off four and and beating everybody back to the start finish line. Yeah, I heard a so, little.
2: Bit, I heard a little bit of that radio chatter between um, uh, Brad and Paul. Uh, he, he said, "You know the deal. Don't get too far out front." Which I right. find I find that interesting because you know, in uh, a lot of races you you, you want to get uh, you'd want to get out front, but certainly not the case at a place like Talladega.
6: Well that's you know and that's one of the tricks of the trade that the guys learn the side drafting and and being able to to know to drag the brake up coming off the corners and allow those cars to get a little bit of a lead on you because you can close close ground awful fast with them and they really don't have a shot to uh to block you. If Newman could have kept those cars within a car length behind him, I think he'd have had a good chance to block those cars block either lane coming down the backstretch and probably kept them behind him going into turn 4. But with with Keselowski, you know, dragging the brake, and that's just one of the tricks. I mean, that's probably why he's one of the better uh, plate racers right now. He he understands it, understands the concepts and the tricks behind it, and uh, and that's why he's got five wins at Talladega.
2: Seth, what are your thoughts coming out of Talladega? I know you're uh, you're key NASCAR follower as Well, so
6: well,
5: go, just going back to Keselowski dragging the brake. Not only was he dragging the brake. He had Joey Logano, his teammate, who was in a battered car, somehow get back up there to push him. Behind Logano, you had Marola pushing, and he had a fourth Ford in uh, Trevor Bayne pushing. You had, uh, the Fords were working together all day long. The Toyotas were working together all day long. The Chevys were just working with whoever they could find. But, uh... The Fords, I don't know if it was just the teamwork alone or a combination of the teamwork and Brad's knowledge of restrictor plate racing, but that was one of the keys to him winning, the fact that he had a line of Fords behind him, and Newman only had Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Denny Hamlin to work with.
6: If you watch that last lap, though, they weren't all lined up behind him. They were broken up, so it wasn't like they lined up. But you're right, the Fords did work together. Because if you'll remember, the very first pit stop, all about all ten or twelve Fords, all in a row, came down pit road all together, and for the first pit stop, and pitted together, and went back out together.
5: The only, did, uh, yeah, I'll let you finish. Sorry.
6: Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. It's probably uh, one,
5: the, Yeah, the only Ford that really was on its own was Matty Beddo. But they're an underfunded team, right? So they were just That's chugging right. along.
6: Right, I should say the top Ford teams probably, but they all came down pit road, and I thought that was, you know, that that was pretty eye opening there, there at the very beginning of the race when all the Fords got together, and you'll you they probably talked about that because we saw a similar situation if you go back to Daytona when the Toyotas worked together uh, back in the Daytona five hundred. So yeah, it's not unusual. For, for manufacturers to team up, but that last lap was a little bit more broken up. Now I do believe Joey got up behind him and gave him, helped him a little bit. But the big, the big thing for Keselowski was was dragging that brake and really getting uh, coming off that corner behind uh, you know five six car lengths behind Newman, catching a whiff of that draft and just gaining speed on him. Once they got to three, uh, Newman was powerless to to keep him behind him.
5: And going back to uh, Jimmy Johnson essentially being disqualified or parked. Uh, like you said, it was because they were working under red. Uh, also, Matthew Beddell's team uh, was busted for the same reason. And then Justin Marks. And I want to say DJ Kennington were both parked for having too many men over the wall to work on the car, despite being on the five minute clock.
6: Yeah, I think, and and, and that's part of all part of the new, the new rule this year. and And really what, what did, did Jimmy in, is they mistook the firing of the engines for the rescinding of the red flag. And, and uh, you know, that was just a mistake. That was probably something the crew chief should have been on, on top of, and uh, and just a misunderstanding. But uh, I don't really think it would have made a whole lot of difference uh, one way or another. It, uh,
5: uh, all Jimmy could have gained is if he had gone back on track to just circulate one more time, he would have gained one spot, one point.
6: One point. The, old, it,
5: the only thing that I mean, only time will tell whether or not that makes a difference.
6: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and Jimmy was Jimmy was fortunate enough to finish. I think one of the segments he did gain some he did gain some segment points uh, uh, during racing. And I tell you, one of the really uh, benefactors from the segment deal was, was Ryan Blaney. Ryan Blaney winning uh, winning a segment really kept him inside the top eight. So that was that was good for for Ryan Blaney. He won the second uh, won the second segment and got those uh, got those points.
5: He did, and uh, Kevin Harvick also ran well. Uh, he was caught up in that first pileup. Uh, he almost avoided the one with Ryan Blaney that eventually took him out. Uh, unfortunately, between Blaney going through the dirt, putting up a cloud of dust, and Brendan Gaughan just not stopping and when he hit Blaney, that sent Blaney up into, uh, Harvick's path, but, uh, yeah, it, it was just so, a chain of events that was out of Harvick's control.
6: Right. And Harvick tried to get his car back in, but, uh, he, every time he got to to get the car started and tried to move, march forward, it would move out. And Richard, Richard, you know, does a lot of electronics for, for, for our cars. He, he can probably uh, elaborate on this, uh, I think that the oil pressure sensor in in, in the ECU was probably uh, cutting the car back off when he tried to go forward. I think it probably knocked the belt off the uh, off of it.
3: Yeah, something along those lines. Um, you know, the, the car fundamentally, I think, could have started, but yeah, it was the ECU that every time he uh, tried to fire the ignition, um, he uh, the engine would kill itself, uh, which. Um, <laughs> yeah there's, there's not much uh, not much you can do when that ha- when that's happened really uh, a lot of other motor series that have a more advanced um uh what's the word a, a more advanced electrical system should we say have the ability to you know to discount sensors and 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 manage sensors that have failed whereas obviously in the cup series they're still um it's only, what 3 or 4 years into um yeah, it's still, uh, uh, when you yeah so they're still Yeah, so there's still yeah, it's still pretty basic compared to what other series right. have out there. But uh, yeah, it was a it was a an electrical well, say an electrical issue, but a, a mechanical issue rather than crash damage that, um, that that caused the issue this weekend for the four car.
6: Yeah, because I noticed when Harvick was inside the car, the official came up to the wind net and tried to lower it several times, and, and Harvick was shooing him away because you know, like I said, once that wind net goes down you're essentially out of the race. So Harvey did make a, he, he did make a valiant effort to, to to restart the car, but uh, it was all went for naught. That was funny. Yeah, did you see that, what I'm talking about when the fishing Oh, yeah, that, we
1: were watching it on the TV at the my, one of my buddy's houses, and it was so funny. He's like, oh, will I get it this time? Will he get it? Nope, 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 nope. And then the guy came with a window, we're like we just started cracking. Up. He was like, oh, that's it. He's done. Yeah.
6: Yeah, and then that's when when he took the went, took the steering wheel off and flung it. So yeah, but but tough luck. But he did make the effort to get back in. But I think Harvick's going to be uh, if he has a decent race out there, he'll he won't be in any danger of not transferring to the to the next uh, round of the playoffs.
2: Yeah, Har- Harvick's kind of like sandwiched there in the middle. I mean, he's he's not in a must win. Uh, but he definitely needs a good result in Kansas. So. But let me let me just throw this out here since we're talking about playoffs and whatnot, okay? So uh, there were a couple guys saying maybe Talladega shouldn't be in the playoffs. Maybe it should be prior to Richmond before they decide who's in the playoffs. But, but as I look at this thing, right, uh, your playoffs should represent all of your racing disciplines, okay? We're putting the sort of road course in there next year with Charlotte. Um, We've got Martinsville in there with the short track. Uh, We've got several intermediate tracks in there. And we've got Plate Race on on a super speedway all in the playoffs. I think all those forms of racing need to be represented in your playoffs. So, uh, I mean, what are your thoughts? Is Talladega just too much of a wild card uh, when when guys are talking championships or does it belong?
6: No, I think you two wild card races are in. Martinsville is also – is also a wild card, but it's on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, I agree, Frank. All disciplines need to be in it. I, uh, To me, I just wish that we, instead of an artificial road course, we had a natural terrain proper road course in, in, in the chase. Road America. The, yeah, I- anywhere. Or, or, any or natural terrain. W- Glen, Sonoma. Yeah, Wacken, any
3: mean, natural Laguna track, yeah. Yes. Oh god, Sometimes. I can't imagine
2: yeah. cup cars going around Laguna Seca that they fall think, off the yeah. hill.
6: That'd be great. That'd be, <laughs> that's the point. It'd be a cool show. I just think it you know, would they'd be, have yeah. to. A, they'd have to really improve the pit area for uh to, to, to house the all the cup stuff forty spots along up in there. But yeah, it would be fun. But I do think that you know a, a natural terrain proper road course. Needs to be in the thing, and you know you could put either you know Sonoma that that you know tracks that we're familiar with obviously come to mind first, and that's and that Sonoma and Watkins Glen. And, but and uh, you, yeah. remember,
2: you remember, Seth, We talked we talked to Michael Printup; he was on our show a couple of years ago, and um, we talked about having uh, Watkins Glen in the chase. And, and his concern was uh, that that you know the playoff time is pretty much the uh, the rainy season. Up there, so you know, as long as they yeah, even, willing, as even as NASCAR to go was willing there. That to to roll the dice on a full wet race with the cup cars with I, their rain tires and windshield wipers, he'd be open to do it.
6: I think, I, I, you know, I think they could put that thing at the at the at the front front end of the uh, at the front end of the chase, and September would be ideal in 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 that area of the country I mean I'll be I'll, I do I mean I think it would be great I mean obviously when you wait and go back in you know you couldn't do it and your weather's going to definitely going to be a concern in October and November obviously but you know if they do it at the at the at the beginning of the chase in in, in early September I think that'd be ideal oh, i I'd love to see it
3: I'd love to. now
2: Seth yeah. Seth you want to chime in with a couple of thoughts here and yeah. then and then Joey you're next
5: uh <laughs> My Two of my thoughts are on taldega One, Eric Almirola, I just want to do a shout out to him. It was his first top five, let alone top ten, since his injury back at Kansas earlier this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, it was a race of survival, but still, it was nice to see him back up front. And also, despite all the troubles of that team, Greg Galding in the BK Racing car, a and it was a battered car. He was caught in every wreck there was, finished ninth, and was the rookie of the race. So, because
2: you kept that window net up. Yes, because <laughs> he kept the window <laughs> net up. But uh,
5: going back to what uh, Gray or Richard was saying about uh, Laguna Seca and Gray talking about updating the pit road, you really don't need to update the pit road. Just do what they do at Eldora. Competition caution, uh, have yes. a certain number of... Of cars come down pit road, pit them. They go back out. Next group of cars come down pit road.
6: Yeah, you could do that, but obviously it, it, it'd be better if it was a straight up race. You know what I'm saying? And you didn't have to come and have a have some, something kind of gimmick. If well, you could
3: have fights between pit crews to see who yeah. got the box, yeah. give like one box for two pit crews, and whoever's still standing to pit the car, yeah. they can use it. It just takes a, it.
6: You know, <laughs> That'd be good. I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I know <laughs> what you're saying. But, yeah, it'd be better. It'd be a better race if everybody had a sign pit. You wouldn't have to have a – it'd be another thing to throw a caution about and another thing to drag the race out and do that kind of stuff. And then they'd have to uh, realign the cars uh, and and stuff like that. It's better if it, if it's a straight-up uh, straight pit road and everybody comes down. And speaking of pit road in, in NASCAR, it was announced this week that NASCAR is going to uh, – Looking into some uh, some other rules, you know, we talked a few few uh, uh, months or so back about NASCAR talking about uh, eliminating the jack man and going with the uh, onboard jacks. I think they've done a little bit of testing on that thing, and I think they're not quite as hip on that idea uh, as they once were because uh, in talking with a lot of the sports car uh, guys. Uh, the jacks to lift a thirty-four hundred pound stock car—that uh, would be a, that'd be a stretch. So they're going to have to go back to the drawing board on that and work on that. But another thing they're talking about is going with a standard pit gun in the future. Uh, a lot of the teams spend hundreds of thousands of dollars developing uh, jacks and air wrenches. Uh, Joe Gibbs has led uh, uh, led the way for a lot of development in that area and they've spent an awful lot of money uh and nascar is talking about having a standard gun that all the teams use uh to eliminate uh all these high dollar uh guns hasn't been set in stone yet but it's one of the things that nascar is talking about uh uh, instituting uh next year
3: yeah but all that will mean that the plan is that from my understanding with the pit guns they'll be rented on a weekly basis. Right. right. So, um, you know, the concept that that's a huge money saving exercise, I think is a little bit, uh, little bit lost. I mean, the big teams, again, we've been talking about this a lot at work this last, you know, few months, the big teams will spend money no matter what you do. Exactly, Um, It's going to go somewhere else. Exactly. Uh, and you know, the, the rental systems, it's going to be difficult. I mean, what happens if a pit gun fails? whose, you know, whose fault is it? Is it the guy that, you know, at the moment, if a pit gun fails, you do something to fix it. If they're all standard pit guns and you have an issue with them, then who do you blame for want of a you know better word? Yeah, I think there's some. I think you know the con- the the concept in
6: theory right now is, is what they're looking at, and what you know, and it's created a lot of talk and a lot of guys, a lot of fan talk. They don't like it because obviously this again it's another rule and they don't like NASCAR putting too many rules in the thing but one thing you got to understand it's not it, it's the owners that are asking for this stuff it's it's the owners that mm-hmm. get together with NASCAR and they are the ones that plant the seed with NASCAR for these initiatives uh because they're the ones that want you know they're trying to save money and they 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 see the uh they see the handwriting on the wall or looking into the crystal ball because you know obviously we've talked about this too uh, sponsorship dollars are going to shrink uh, coming in, in in the coming years and so they're going to have to look at areas to cut costs in some area in some places and this is one of the things that they're they're they're, they're probably wanting to do
2: you know for the life of me i can't understand why nascar has not gone to like a, a center a single nut like, like we use on open wheel cars. I mean, they, Again, I, I know that they but, like to the, to look stock like a stock car, but maybe right. they can just do like they do with the headlights and and the and the and the the, the tailpipes and the door handles, and just put little decals of lug nuts around yeah, the center it,
0: nut.
2: I mean, it just, it'd, be, it'd make too darn much sense to have that, that
6: center hub and, and the one nut. And well, they'd have to redo the – the biggest thing is they'd have to redo the snouts on all the uh, on the rear end housings. That would cause a scrap, all the current rear end housings they have. They'd have to develop a new snout. So you got to remember they put camber in these things, and these are cambered snouts and stuff. So that's that adds another can of worms to the whole whole development cost. The, and on the, the – the five-on-five hubs that they've used for a hundred years are standard, and NASCAR does does like to stay somewhat antiquated and keep a kinship of sorts to uh, to 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 regular stock cars. And I'll tell you this: it wasn't too many years ago, and and I can go back to the 1985, 1986, We had to fight tooth and nail with NASCAR to allow us to use. The, the rectangular wide uh, wide angle or wide view rearview mirrors because prior to that we were required to use a stock-like rearview mirror in the car like you have in your cars now. And we had to we had to debate NASCAR tooth and nail to, to convince them that it was a safety issue that why we needed the longer wide angle uh, rectangular mirrors in the car. And they finally relented. I think they were just instituted in in, in the cars of around 1985, 86, 87, somewhere
2: in that area. I tell you. So they're
6: now, they're slow to do things.
2: Yes. Now, Joey, um, before we get too far off topic, I know you had some thoughts that you wanted to bring into uh, uh, one of the one of the conversations we were just having. So, Joey, the floor is yours.
4: Oh gosh. Um, oh, <laughs> part of, I, I part of me doesn't even want to touch on it just because of how far far back. Um.
2: We were talking about road That's courses, road courses yeah, I believe, yeah. when you,
4: uh... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that I just shake my head at, because it sounds like they're trying to be v- supercars in America on ovals, but, um, you know, I guess, looking at the schedule, I, you know, at this rate, with the way the direction of everything seems to go, why the hell don't we just end it at Daytona, the season? I mean, we might as well at this point, because it seems like a crappier anyway, and... The playoffs a crapshoot most of the time, and we run this season. We run five mile and a half in the in the playoffs. Next year, I think we're going to have four. Um, so when I look at this and I look at the fact that we've got one of those mile and a halfs is being converted to a road course, and looking at the the video of things that came out over the last day, it's just not very good. I don't I don't understand the passing zone. I don't understand the placement of of anything. Honestly, it's kinda complicated to look at too. So it's just it's another thing that for lack of a better word, just desensitizes the want to want to go out there and and watch or cover the show. And it's just sad. I I don't understand. We've got facilities in place, you know, if are they so hung up on keeping track dates and, and keeping their their promise to these to these tracks with we've got this state locked in and we've got that you know why do you put yourself in that kind of a box when there's so many good venues across the country that a have a good fan base that don't get nearly the rep in racing you you look no further than Eldora with what NASCAR decided to do by going outside of themselves going to a dirt track and just look at how much attention that has blown up I mean it's it's like the Singapore night race in F1 there's no real pure racing aspect that we get from singapore before that but they put lights on it it's now become a spectacle it's one of the more unique races on the calendar you're not going to get that with a daytime race at charlotte on a weird complicated looking road course where you're looking from the grandstands like it's like trying to watch a a football game from, you know, 10 miles back at this point, just because you're not really that close to the action. So I don't, I don't understand those kind of points on why we're doing that. And I know I'm kind of rambling on about that, but you know, going from there to, I just, I don't, I don't get it. We in the season with, with Texas and Phoenix and then, and then Homestead at this point, I just don't get it. We're going to have all these mile and halves on the schedule. We need another short track. We need a natural road course, we do need a restrictor plate, and we I would say at most we need two mile and a half. In all reality, we need less mile and a half on the schedule to begin with. And I personally am an advocate for less is more. The reason the NFL is so successful, only seventeen regular season only seventeen weeks in the regular season, they're only on for about four and a half, five months. They have us wanting more. There's a network about it because they have us wanting. You don't see people going, Oh yeah, I can't wait till that NASCAR comes on we're over the weekend before thanksgiving we're already testing in january these drivers these teams are worn thin and on top of all that it's just so packed that you don't really get a break i mean the only time you really get a break is if a red flag comes on track which you know i'm sure that we've lost a lot of the fan base because we've had like 20 red flags this year so uh, i know i'm kind of ranting but that's that's my two cents on it is we we should probably go from 36 to 32 and cut this back to where we start the season maybe a week or two later, we end it a week or two sooner. I'd like to end the season November 1st, personally.
6: You know, I tell you, I, I've, I've always been a – I've always – you know, I've grown up in this sport, and I remember when we used to win this Cup Series had 50-some races in the season, and then it was reduced to 32 when Winston came in and became the Winston Cup <coughs> Series. And it stayed around the 32 races for a while, and then as we added a few new tracks – you know, in the late 80s and early 90s, this, this, the season grew to 36 races. And, you know, I've always been one that I wouldn't personally, I didn't, wouldn't like retraction. But, you know, as we go into a new age and we see things, all major sporting entities are going to have to change their business model to attr- to maintain and attract the fans uh, that they have and attract new fans, and that's the the NFL, uh, Major League Baseball, NBA, and NASCAR, too. They're going to have to change it because basically all, all of them are losing shares, all of yeah. them are losing viewership, and they're going to have to change change things. The NBA, 82 games in the NBA is too much. 162 games in Major League Baseball is, is too much, and people and, lose interest. And I think NASCAR is going to have to look and change, and I agree with agree with you they're going to have to change their business model to some degree but getting back to your thing about why they don't use other tracks and and, and, and it's really a simple thing most of the tracks are owned by two organizations international speedway corporation and yep. speedway motorsports and that's why that's why the calendar being as it is will not allow other tracks to come in i'd love to see road america uh mid ohio on, on the schedule but basically, unless they are bought by one of those two entities, they will not be on the cup schedule because so those two companies have so much money invested in those facilities. The only way they're going to get their return on their investment is if they have those events, and that's why that's why we're we're pretty much locked into the schedules that we have.
4: Well, and, and I can
2: tell you that for sure. I mean, the the, the track uh, by my home state track, Kentucky Speedway, tried and tried and tried to get a cup date. The only way they could get a cup date was to sell the track to Bruton Smith. Now to have a cup date, right?
4: Well, and, you- and you know, I, I, I and I get all that, um, but where I'm coming from is Eldora is not owned by anybody. There's a lot of tracks that the Truck Series and that even the Xfinity mm-hmm. Series has gone to that right. isn't developed by those. So, as far as just the overall health of motorsports, it would be nice to see an effort, okay. and of course that isn't really a NASCAR's plan. And I think right. that the sad part of this is given the state of the economics, given the state of business, because there is such a lack of sponsorship dollars going to these teams, there is a lack of sponsorship dollars going to NASCAR. You would think, and there's going to be a lack of TV interest if the ratings continue to be what they are, there's going to be a you-have-to-cut-back scenario. And I mm-hmm. think that instead of trying to oversaturate the product, they need to keep people wanting, and I exactly. think that's what's going to keep them mm-hmm. above water. If that makes any sense,
6: that's true. I I understand exactly what you're saying. It's just like what I said. All major sporting entities are going to have to change their business model because society is going to is going to dictate it because of what society wants. You know, kids have more choices nowadays. You know, uh, we all became race fans way back when. You know, back in our youth when we didn't have as many choices. So. You know, but nowadays the kids—the kids that followed us, or the generation that followed us—has more choices, and and that they want to do other things. So, you know, they can pick and choose, you know, their entertainment or what they use for entertainment. So, basically, all these all these entities and, and motorsports in general, they're gonna they're gonna be in and, and competing and clamoring with all these other uh, major sports for uh, for that individual to sit there and, and watch your
4: product. And speaking and I, I don't want to sorry Seth. I, you're fine. One quick thing. Just to pick your brain on this and I don't want to beat a dead horse on this subject for too long, but do you think maybe when we look back at 98, 99 or even 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000, do you think that we're looking at this and thinking to ourselves that NASCAR grew too fast or do you think they just changed too much?
6: I don't I don't know that they they changed too much. I think they I think they obviously they look; those were booming years when, when we had us, when the faucet was turned on and overflowing with, with sponsorship money because the TV ratings were through the roof. Uh, <coughs> the, the racetracks couldn't build new seats fast enough. And basically, they took advantage of it and take advantage of that boom. Uh, obviously, hindsight's 20/20. Had they Had they wished they, yeah, like you're talking about, leaving, leaving us wanting more. Might have been a good idea and not expand because all those seats that they put in in the late 90s, they're taking them out as fast as they can now. But but, uh, I think I think we just it was a natural boom Uh, interest peak from my generation uh, in the sport. And I think, too, you know, you got to look at there was there was a revolution in social media uh, starting about that time. Uh, and, and electronic media was beginning to boom, and I think all those ingredients uh, all together rolled into one kind of kind of hurt not only motorsports but hurt other sports too. And you know we've looked at we've looked at uh, football as this uh, you know unbeatable this the NFL you know which had ratings go up. Now we've seen uh, NFL ratings drop the last two years, seven uh, percent. Uh, they're up around 16 percent now since uh 2015 i believe uh drop and that's significant um so i think there's a lot of a lot of things coming into play most most likely all the all the, the expanding social media electronic media things that have have just exploded since the late 90s have, have contributed to a lot of it too
5: and speaking of uh changing business models and changing times nascar uh there's a report out about a week or two ago. NASCAR is actually encouraging some of its partners, some of its sponsors, to go and sponsor, quote, high-profile free agents, including Danica Patrick and Darrell Wallace Jr. And where that would place them, all signs for Darrell Walls Jr. It's still pointing at Richard Petty Moore Sports. It's just a matter of him actually getting a deal and signing it, Danica Patrick. Who knows? There's only one or two other rides that are open right now: the 27 and the 34. Well, because hey, Front Row announced that Landon Castle won't be returning.
6: One of the things that, that NASCAR is doing, and they have done this in the past, but it, they're really after it now. Obviously, you've got uh, NASCAR is all about trying to have have a have a diverse uh, diverse drivers, and obviously, when you think about that, you've got Bubba Wallace and, and, and Danica Patrick. NASCAR is actively working to try to market those two drivers and shop them around to attract a sponsor that they can steer toward an open ride. So that's going, that's all going on behind the scenes, uh, I, you know. And they've done this, they've done this in the past and done it before. So we're, we're probably going to have to wait and see. Obviously, it's getting late in the game. But we may we may see a announcement as late as, gosh, going to the banquet in Las Vegas uh, on both of those on both of those drivers.
5: And that's a good point. but uh, like I said, that's just the two that were named in the article. That still leaves uh, Mack Hensit, uh up in the air. Kurt Bush. He's likely to end up back in the forty one, but nothing's really been confirmed yet uh eric almirola all signs have him in the 10 next year but again nothing's really confirmed with that either we know smithfield is moving to stewart Haas racing but we still know which car it's going to be on Mm -hmm.
3: uh
5: so there's still a lot of changes going around
6: and there's a lot of stuff that's yet to be still yet to be decided uh Monster Energy has not yet picked up their option with NASCAR, and that's still out on the table, uh, uh, waiting to be to waiting to be signed. Uh, Goodyear has not uh, signed an agreement with NASCAR for 2018, although they have been conducting tire test for the 2018 season they have not reached a formal agreement with nascar so that's another thing that that's still out there too so you know all these things that we used to look at and were you know were already signed well before the end of the season you know we used to go to charlotte in october and that was a big big time big week in nascar because that was it was uh, right in the uh, media center for nascar so all the new new driver changes and the new rides and everything was always announced the week of Charlotte. Everybody looked forward to going to Charlotte because all the new stuff was going to come out. Now with you know the reality of it is this stuff takes longer to do and and, and a lot of it comes together at the 11th hour. So you know th- those days of everything being announced in Charlotte like they used to be are long gone.
2: Yeah, and that's the exhaustion is a sign of the time. So, uh, man, great, healthy discussion, guys. But, uh, Gray, I know you'd probably run off here in a little bit. Um, so, before you do, I want to get 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 all of our picks for Kansas out. So, um, we'll go. Uh, everybody can pick a winner, and then you got to pick four drivers who are going to be eliminated. So, and I'll start with you, Gray.
6: Okay, uh, I, the four to be eliminated. I, I think. Uh, Obviously, McMurray is too is too far back uh, this time. Stenhouse's uh, mile and a half program has not been where it, it where it should be. I think he'll probably be eliminated this time. Uh, let's see who else is that. Uh, Kenseth, Kenseth has just not shown consistency all year long. I know he's run well at Kansas in the past, but I just, I mean, though he's he's going to remain in, he's going to remain in the bottom three. And the, uh, who's the fourth guy in the bottom three refresh my memory. Kyle Bush, Kyle Bush. I believe Kyle Bush, Kyle's going to, Kyle's going to, uh, going to leapfrog someone and, and, and go it. Uh, gosh, I'm going to, I'm going to say, uh, you know, Jim, there's another team that has not shown this. Jimmy Johnson's going to fall out this time. I know this is going to be a surprise to some folks, but that team down the stretch, I know they won three races, before the midpoint of the season but they have not shown any consistency since then so I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, include Jimmy Johnson in my in my bottom four uh, as far as the race win uh this weekend I'm gonna say it's gonna be some it won't be true X I think true X will just go and try to be be, be conservative uh, Kyle Larson I'm gonna go with Kyle Larson as the winner
2: Good pick with Kyle Larson. Now, Chris, you've been kind of quiet, so I'll let you have the next uh, round of picks there.
1: Well, I want to say Gray is uh, taking up the mantle of um, Karnak the Magnificent because those are the <laughs> four guys I was going to pick. Um, yeah, you can, you can
2: pick the same guys You, for can, pick, you can pick the same that's, guys for that. You, yeah. you just got to pick, pick, what what pick was, a different gonna, race winner, yeah.
1: That's what I was going to do. Um, my race winner, I'm going to say Kyle Busch.
2: All right, good for you. Uh, Joey?
4: We're going from uh, 12 down to 8, right? Yes, sir. Right. Um, let's see. For the race win, I like Eric Jones, actually. Uh, he ran really well at Kansas. Uh, was the last year or so. And he's got, what, now it's going to be three starts there, so four starts. So I like him to actually get his first win at Kansas. Um, let's see here. Looking at this 12, obviously McMurray. Um, I think that um, – that's over here, 33rd start. Yeah, but I was talking about at Kansas.
5: Um, Uh, I was trying to say it's his third at Kansas. Fingers. (laughs) Um,
4: But let's see. I'll say Jamie McMurray, Ricky Stenhouse. I actually think Chase misses. Um, I think he has a problem. And then Denny. So I'll say the guy's sitting fifth and sixth right now. So, yeah, there you go.
3: All right, there you go, uh, Richard. So out, I'm going to go. Um, Jimmy Murray and Ricky Senhouse, Matt Kenseth and Chase Elliott, and I think I think Jimmy Johnson's going to win the race.
2: Well, that'll that'll keep him from getting eliminated. That's for sure, Seth. Yep.
3: <clears throat> well,
5: Gray took my race winner pick, so I'm going to say Ryan Blaney will win the race. Uh, as far as those being eliminated, I'm going to say McMurray, Stenhouse, Kyle Busch, and Jimmy Johnson.
6: Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Gonna, yeah, gonna so you're, two heavy hitters out, okay?
2: You're kicking three three former champions out. Man. All right. You're you're gonna gonna, be, if
4: you're good on this, you better hit the casino. <laughs>
3: yes, <laughs> sir. In,
4: uh,
3: while we're over in the Midwest with those picks, you might as well <laughs> deliver the trophy to uh, Truex while you're there then. <laughs> uh,
2: goodness. All right. I would I would have said Kyle Bush wins the race, but somebody uh, picked that from him. But Kyle's going to have a good day. He'll probably win the race, um, uh, you know, and save himself for elimination. But uh, I'll say Truex wins the race.
4: Oh, my gosh. You actually did that, huh?
2: Yes. Well, I mean, not BK.
4: Huh? Not BK.
2: BK may win, too. I don't know. Dale Jr. I, I'm kind hey
4: of shocked that none of us picked anybody that, well, outside of Kyle, I'm surprised that we didn't take Kenseth, Stenhouse, and McMurray as like the upset to get themselves out of the clutches of pretty much ending their season.
2: Well, I, I, I don't know. But I, I'm going to tell you what, McMurray's done, Stenhouse is done. Um, I think Jimmy Johnson is done, and I think Chase Elliott is done. That's uh, that's where I'm at with that. So, guys, any final NASCAR thoughts before we move on to a uh, little IndyCar news, and then, uh, then we'll, I have then, then we'll begin. Then we'll begin uh, previewing the U.S. Grand Prix at uh, Coda. Go ahead. Seth. I have
5: one. Uh, this weekend, we well, have 41 on the entry list for 40 spots. It's only the fourth time this season that we're going to be sending one team home. The last time was Bristol. Uh, the other two times were the Spring Dega race and the Daytona 500. Uh, the extra team that we have this weekend, Derek Cope's Starcom Racing. number. He's going to be the number 00 Starcom Chevrolet SS. It's a brand new team.
4: You think he'll scrub the wall this week?
5: <laughs> if,
0: somebody, Austin, if
2: somebody needs a caution, he may.
0: Ooh. Ooh. <laughs>
2: good old Derek cope you know just 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 think just 27 years ago we were talking about him as the daytona 500 winner so, Stop. <laughs> so all right so uh indycar a uh, big announcement coming out of smith peterson racing they've announced their drive lineup for 2018 they have retained james hinchcliffe um which is great, and James is a childhood friend and a guy he raced against. Robert Wickens, fellow Canadian, um, who's coming out of the uh, DTC series with Mercedes, is going to make that jump to IndyCar. Um, should be, in my mind, a pretty exciting driver lineup. You've got two guys that, number one, are old friends that respect one another, um, that get along well. Uh, they're going to they're going to be brilliant, sharing information, and you know, God knows that team can use a little bit of improvement. You know, they're, they're not quite there. Uh, I think Wickens, once he gets past the learning curve, um, is going to be a major contributor uh, to helping that team move forward. Um, you know, no disrespect to Mikel Ocean who had a really tough year last year. Um, he he uh, had a visa problem. He got benched uh, one week. But uh, I think this is a pretty solid lineup. <coughs> We haven't, excuse me. We haven't had this many Canadians in the in the season since we had the players, uh, the players development program that put guys like, uh, uh, you know, Greg Moore, Claude Bourbonnais, Patrick Carpentier, um, Paul Tracy. Uh, You know, there used to be tons of Canadians in the sport, and um, Scott Goodyear, another fine Canadian driver. Uh, So I I think it's just neat. I think it's going to be great uh, to see. those two together now Joey you you're rather close to the sport you have your um, ear to the ground so uh, what's your thought on Wickens in the in the SPM car
4: the it SPM makes a lot car of, Yeah I mean it makes a lot of sense when you when you see that a lot of the talk was that in order for Schmidt to kind of keep hinch there had to be somebody in there that hinch really got on well with and I think that that Wickens definitely fits that bill. I think this is a good move by Rick Peterson, especially if this is kind of the future destination to carry another race up in Canada because he's heavily involved with Calgary, as is James Hinchcliffe. So I think this is another step to maybe get that ball rolling again or to further it. Uh, Wickens has some single-seater experience, so it's not completely you know, un- unknown to him. He even did a few uh, drives last year. He was in the practice session for Mikhail Elosian at Road America and was set to do everything. And then suddenly on Saturday, Elosian shows up. And then I want to say there was another one at Sebring that that him and him and Hinch did like a ride swap where Hinch actually got to do some stuff over in in Italy, I think it was. But, um, you know, I think it's a good move. He's young enough to where he's still somebody that can be marketable in the sport. He's a likable personality. He's a good guy. Um, yeah, and I think it's important to have talents like him in a series like IndyCar continuing to grow, continuing to find talent. And I think that's the thing is as long as you can continue to find talent, the series will grow naturally because if it's good enough, people can't help but watch. And I think that's what's going to continue to happen with, with the sport with guys like Wickens. Yeah,
2: like I said, he's, he's young enough. He's 28. Um, and he's he was pretty solid in DTC. I believe he had six wins last year, if I'm not mistaken, or six wins over the last couple of years, um, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, you know, you know, good on them, solidifying their driver lineup as we go into, you know, more and more testing with the 2018 car. Um, and the other interesting bit of news coming out of Schmidt-Peterson is that they're talking with uh certain Mr. Juan Montoya about uh, Indy 500 ride. You know, he was... Uh, uh, informed by roger penske that uh, while he's a you know full part of the acura sports car program there's not a seat for him in a penske car the Indy 500. but he is free to talk to other teams and schmitz peterson is talking to him um this is just in the infancy stages but they're looking for some funding but uh you know if you were a corporation wanting to put your name on a on a car uh, juan montoy is pretty marketable wouldn't you say Chris?
1: I mean, of course. I mean, you got a two-time mini 500 winner. The other times that he's run there, he's had, what, a a fourth or fifth, and he had a 33rd. He's got a great win percentage of 500-mile races. The guy knows how to get it done. I mean, hell, he won the Pocono 500 in 2014 in his first year back in the championship. So he knows what he's doing behind the wheel, and you're not going to go wrong with hiring Juan Montoya. He knows how to bring a car home to the finish, and he's aggressive too. Um, great car control. There, there's no there's no downsides to having him on your team. And
4: certainly, I find hit, it, uh, go right ahead, I, I, Joey. I'm I, sorry. I, I, no, no, no. I, I find it interesting, though, that like, and maybe this is part of the deal because this year it was it was him that was in Elio's spot with running the GP and the 500. Next year, Elio's in in Juan's spot from this year, doing the GP and the 500. And I, I'm wondering how this is working, because it's it's a situation where, okay, because the Honda Acura program wasn't up to, to speed quite yet, did that allow that because he wasn't officially a Honda Acura driver, so he wasn't kind of in their clutches? It, it, and of all things, I, I mean, it's a very interesting bit that he's doing this with Schmidt if this is all you know true and if this is all coming of age that this is a possibility, because they're not quite fit to run a full two-team outfit right now. Like, we're still trying to see that second car come up to the same speed as the as the five of Hinchcliffe, and hopefully Wickens is able to do that, and I think he will. But because of that, I'm wondering why you're going to even try to stretch yourself to four teams, uh, especially with a car that is virtually unknown to you. With the 2018 package, I don't know why you don't try to go to a team that's better, maybe fit to run something like this, like an Andretti. Maybe, I mean, hell, go talk to Chip. I know that's probably forbidden, given everything, because of uh, him being a Pinsky man. But you got to think that if he can go run for anybody, I mean, obviously, why not pull a one-off with, with uh, an old flame?
2: Well, you know what? We don't know for sure that, that Juan isn't talking to other people. We just know he's talking to Schmidt. I mean... It could be that he's got feelers out all over. So he may be talking to Ray Hall.
4: Everybody. Everybody's on the table. <laughs> he may be you talking, he, Taku, may be talking you imagine, to Zucos. You imagine Taku and Juan on the same team? That would uh, you be better fun. get your uh, spare parts ready, did not you? Oh, you better keep the spare parts away from their hands. They might hurt each other. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs>
2: that yeah, would be fun. And speaking of Taku, he had a very nice night um earlier this week where his uh, image on the Borg Warner trophy was unveiled. Uh pretty neat event that Chris didn't go to. Uh so <laughs> But um yeah, good on Taku, man. You know, I I, I you know, I watched uh, some of that and he's just uh, just absolutely humble and appreciative and whatnot and you know, there there's so much you can dislike about Taki when he does has his brain farts on the track but but as, <laughs> but as a man as a human being he's one of the most genuine people I know I mean it was just I, I just love watching that you know so anyway
4: but I, I, mean, I, but I digress he also his foundation um, happened after the tsunami hit Japan he, I mean he's had that foundation up and going still oh, yes. and uh, we put it in on, on one of the after he won the Indy 500 uh, he has that driver column on Motorsports Tribune and we put in we made sure to put in that, you know, that that fund, and and you know, he's still a very, he's still very proud about that, and, and I think that's really cool. That something that happened so many years ago, he still kind of puts front and center of a lot of things. So to speak to your being a human being thing and just being such a genuine person, I think that certainly goes a long way.
2: Absolutely. So, um, any more card tidbits we need to cover before we? Uh, oh yes, yeah. Let's talk about Brendan Hartley. Oh, let's talk about the schedule. Uh, yeah, we so got released. We, we
4: almost missed it. Look at you, slacker.
2: <laughs> all right, Joey, take us through the schedule.
4: I'm not going to take you through all of them. What I can say no, is you can uh,
2: take us through the changes. You know, you can say most of you remember. Okay. The same. Well, yeah, Indiana, yeah. Indiana, I mean, a lot of Indianapolis the... is going to be in Memorial Day weekend.
4: Oh, big wow. <laughs> But a lot of the dates, date equity was really important on this on this calendar. So a lot of the dates remain in place. Season starts in St. Pete. I think what's really cool is we have a small West Coast swing with with uh, Long Beach and Phoenix um, set back-to-back. Although it's back-to-back-to-back because I also have one in Barber right after, which is definitely not the West Coast. And when that's over, we go on to a nice little stretch with, with Indy, obviously, in the month of the GP and the 500. But I think that the critical changes happen later in the year when we look at Watkins Glen, which was fit to kind of be in a three-year situation. Uh, they kind of saved the Boston situation last year. But they elected to kind of opt out of their third year. Um, there's, I'm not 100% sure of the reasoning behind that. But Michael Printup over there at Watkins Glen said that he still wants to keep kind of his, his finger on a pulse of IndyCar. They just couldn't settle on a date. He wanted to do something with IndyCar, but there were some other in- – Other things going on, other variables that kind of kept that from from being a possibility. Um, Potentially other series that run on Watkins Glen being a conflict of interest with those series. But swapping out for Watkins Glen on Labor Day weekend is Portland. So we return to the northeast, northwest, sorry. And um, I think that it's important that, uh, yeah, geography. But um, I tell you what. I would love to have seen a second race in Canada and like a, another different type of street race in Vancouver. Cause I can't do the old one obviously, but this is probably the next best situation because if nothing else, we're at least in the Northwest. There you go, Chris. And I think that doing it there and then going down to Sonoma, there's a nice little two race and three week stretch there for a West coast swing in the season off. The weather's going to be beautiful. The track has always produced really good finishes, um, so I, I, we're in a market that nobody else is, and I think that's the important thing, is that NASCAR doesn't go to the Northwest. Other racing divisions don't really have a presence there, but I think that this is a place that IndyCar can definitely reestablish itself, and surprisingly, something that um, Mark Miles said is that even though the Labor Day date didn't quite work for Watkins Glen, it's something that Portland really wanted. You know, it's in an urban area. There's actually a, a train that unloads right there at the track. So it's it's right there. It's within the city, and I think that that's another reason to kind of gravitate towards this: is that everything is there for the taking, and everything is there for the fans to kind of get involved.
2: Yeah, and Portland was one of those. You know, mainstay tracks during Cart's heyday. I remember it used to be traditionally held on Father's Day weekend. And, you know, we all never forget the time that uh, Michael Andretti give uh, his dad Mario a Father's Day gift by running out of of fuel uh, coming to the line. Uh, So I'm, you know, thrilled to see Portland back on there. It looks like, or from what I'm hearing, they need to do a little work on the infrastructure and whatnot. Uh, Do a few improvements here and there. Um, But, uh, you know, they've got, uh, you know, more than a – they've got a year to work on that. So, uh, uh, you know, good on them getting us back in that Pacific Northwest market. Again, to your point, Joey, I'd love to see Vancouver back on there too.
4: The other thing that that was kind of talked about to kind of talk about the infrastructure there is that Graham had talked about 5 and 6, turns 5 and 6, being in, in really good shape with some of the changes that they were doing. And overall, even though it needed some improvement, it wasn't dramatic like some would have expected. Like, you know, if there's a return to Laguna Seca, there's going to have to be some pretty abrupt changes. But with this situation, it's not quite that that severe. Also was not put on the schedule, but what is kind of provisionally hung around was a potential return to Mexico. But if they do it, it will be at the same venue in Mexico City that F1 runs at. And if they do it, Mark Miles said it would be preferable to run that in August. So, yeah,
2: they're it looking, be to a little fill, warm. Look, looking to fill that hole in the middle of the schedule, yeah, so. Yeah,
4: but uh, a lot of that has to do with the fact that because the earthquake hit, it's just learning, you know, how the conditions are, getting into the track, getting into out of the track, because obviously the track itself wasn't hit, but the surrounding areas were. So it's just making sure that things would be convenient for everybody involved. And, you know, if that's the case, and potentially if Esteban Gutierrez is on the grid, it certainly makes that a very marketable venue for IndyCar to return to.
3: Absolutely.
2: Now, now, Chris, you're a, another staunch follower of IndyCar, and you you live right there outside Indianapolis. So, what are, what are your thoughts on the schedule? And what are you what are you hearing from some of the IndyCar faithful? Uh, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down.
1: Um, I'm hearing a lot of good things about Portland being back on. Um, I, I hate the fact that we lost Watkins Glen, but you know, things are what they are. You can't always get you know what you want on the schedule. Um, I found it interesting. I th- the, only, the one of the big things that I didn't like, honestly, was the fact that we have Barber just one week after Long Beach. Um, I mean, ideally, I think Barber should be the week after uh, St. Petersburg, so we can have uh, the teams having less wear and tear on traveling. Um, the other thing that I, I vehemently disagree with is not having uh, Indy Lights run at Long Beach because you know they of uh, Open Wheel Racing support series has always run at Long Beach until last year and. I think, frankly, it's a shame that they didn't have um, a date there.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, George Michael, uh, the 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 fourth George Michael Steinbrenner, the fourth, the co-owner of that Andretti Steinbrenner Indy Lights ride that Colton Herter runs. You know, talking with him at Long Beach last year, he said that he would really love to have seen Indy Lights here because it's an event and it's something that you can really bring partners to and potential potential sponsors at. <clears throat> And you got to think that, I mean, with having situations like that, that certainly would be attractive to a partner if you're trying to get them involved. So I, I agree with that completely. I think that what's important here is that even though Watkins Glen isn't on the schedule, I think, A, we're moving in the right direction. We're growing slowly but still growing forward. We're growing within our means, if that makes any sense. And I think that when you look at IndyCar racing, I think they will be back at Watkins Glen. I think it's just a matter of time and what makes sense for both parties. And, you know, I, we need something in the Northeast. We've got something now in the Northwest. And you know what? If we had to trade one for one, it's it's understandable because that's just business and how it works. But I like the fact that unlike what we had talked about earlier with NASCAR being so tied into ISC and SMI, I like the fact that IndyCar isn't so tied to, to <coughs> tracks like that. I like the fact that they're trying to be flexible and go across. And that's one of the reasons why you're seeing – growth progressively and consistently out of them. I mean, year after year, over TV ratings and over attendance, we've seen a progressive growth over six years. And so when you look at that, a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're growing within their means, but they're also growing outside the walls of, of tracks like SMI and ISC.
2: Yeah, like I said, it's, it needs to be measured growth. If they were to throw four, you know, everyone said the schedule needs to be longer, but if you were to throw four races on there for next year, it's just, you know, the logistics of it are going to be, monstrous yeah the slow measured growth um keeping up with the growth they're seeing in attendance and whatnot is just what they need to do i've, I've got to commend miles and, and jay fry um all those guys for just trying to do the right thing love to see the glenn back on there for sure um i actually talk to mike Printup quite often and um you know he's he's you know optimistic that uh indy cars will be back at the glenn um he'd like to see a date in the spring you know, he really he really doesn't want anything between July Fourth and Labor Day. is is really where he doesn't want it because of the other activity at his track. So, hopefully, Indy Carr will be able to find a solution and and accommodate uh, that where both parties will be happy and um, and get the Glenn back on there.
4: And you know what, the perfect tie-in because I know we're going to F one is Brendan Hartley.
2: Brendan Hartley
4: mr rumor mill for the ganassi seat now running a potential one-off to a potential rest of the season ride at toro Rosso for the u.s grand prix this weekend so that's going to be interesting because we we heard all along that he's kind of destined for that second ganassi seat for an all new zealand lineup with him and dixon and you know you're runs absolutely amazing in sports car and DTM or not DTM and in, in WEC. And um, I think it's interesting to see what happens here because he's a former Tor- Red Bull racing Academy reject. Um, they casted him out in like 2009, 2010 and very quickly, I shouldn't say very quickly here we are seven years later and they're kind of going back on themselves. And I think it's funny that there he would be replacing a potentially another reject in what's, Who's been demoted from senior team to junior team, to potentially out of F one entirely? And Danny Kvyat, so who, ironically, yeah, who's who's oddly enough his teammate this weekend. So very interesting situation over there, Mister Frank.
2: Very interesting indeed. And Christopher Hardy you've got a couple thoughts on this as well.
4: Yeah, Hartley. He's
1: done great in sports cars. He's been keeping busy. He's been driving a lot of top-end machinery. He should get used to indie cars fairly quickly. Uh, as, as assuming a... he makes
4: it to Indy
2: cars, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Well, he's driving a Formula One car this weekend. So um,
1: the other thing is that I wanted to kind of tone Robert Wickens a little bit. Um, he's got a solid resume backing him. Uh, I mean, I've got I'm looking at his Wikipedia page right now. I mean, he won from BMW USA in 2006. He was second place in. Uh, Well, what's now called F2 in 2009. He was in Formula Renault 3.5 in 2011. Um, He was one of the guys that should have been in F1, quite frankly. And it's a shame that, although he didn't make it to F1, someone that should have made it to F1, Brendan Hartley, is making it to F1 right now. And Hartley, for me, was just one of those guys that kind of fell through the cracks. So there's still some drivers that I want to see get into F1 that aren't in F1, like Sam Bird. I'd love to see him in there. But the fact that we got Harley in there, in my opinion, is a good call. Now, what will do, I don't know. Toros is kind of a bit of a wild card right now.
4: I mean, Richard, I mean, you, you have had a chance to, because you were in the sport some time ago. I mean, seeing some of these young guys, academy guys from – you know, and obviously, maybe not Mercedes necessarily, but Ferrari and Red Bull, and, and maybe even the BMW Academy that they had there for a little bit. I mean, is is Hartley someone you think Could essentially Kotoro also Rob Ganassi of of a driver here?
3: Uh there's the potential. Obviously, I mean, if he goes out there this weekend and uh, and, and does everything that's expected of him, then he is obviously going to put his hat in the ring um, for that drive next year. I I don't think they're looking at him for a full time drive next year. Um, it's a very difficult situation, this young driver pool, or however you want he's, to call it. Um, you know, the by their is,
4: standards, he's not that young either because he's no, like 27, what, 26,
3: 26, 26. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's. To my mind, there are. A substantial list of drivers that have been through the Red Bull Academy that I think deserve that position more than him. And they've had chances and moved on. I would rate both Sebastian Bohemi and um
4: Al Gaswari.
3: Alex Well, Al retired from motor racing altogether now. Yeah. So he's he's sort of off. But uh, Jean Eric Verne as well. I think both of those drivers I would put in above um anybody else if Red Bull or Toros that were looking to bring back in an older driver, um, but I don't think they'd ever get, I, I think both of those drivers have been lost to Formula 1, which is a shame, because I I, I both think, uh, I think both of them are top drivers, and they were wrong place, wrong time, with the likes of Sebastian Vettel and Danny Ricardo and, and, and guys like that, uh, in that main Red Bull seat, so they they, they sort of like They were around at the wrong time. Um, I'd certainly rate them higher than Danny Kvyat, both of them. So, is he looking at the potential driver next year? I don't think so. I think they would look at somebody else. Who that is, I don't know. Maybe keep Danny Kvyat next year for financial reasons. I I don't know, but sometimes getting on these junior driver programs are, are great, but then a lot of the times it's purely timing. And you look at some of the guys that have come through and they've maybe missed their opportunities um, unfairly in a way. And I mean, those two guys that I named earlier, and as you mentioned, Al as well maybe making it three, probably deserve to be in Formula 1, just wrong place, well, sorry, right place, wrong time. Um, I'll
4: tell, tell you who's got to be kicking himself right now is maybe from, from two years ago, and that's Robin Friends. Yep. Just, I mean, yeah.
2: Oh, friends, yeah. Yeah. He had a couple of runs with the in the car. <laughs>
4: Uh, yeah, but car, yeah, he, he wouldn't accept he wouldn't accept a, a backmarker seat for for a year or so, and uh, I to to think it was him. and um, yeah. you know it, it's just it's one of those situations where I'm not saying he'd be a Toro Rosso driver by now. He might even have been on the senior team if his talent level was equal to that of what everybody raved. Then then he wouldn't have been in a it would have been like Verstappen, if that were the case, he wouldn't have been there long. And I you think about it. He was highly tallied before Verstappen came on the scene, and you almost wonder, would he be the reason that Verstappen wasn't on the scene? If maybe
3: Verstappen would have gotten stuck, but you can go through what it is constantly. They come along so quickly, and I don't know how many um, drivers are um, allocated to the Red Bull Junior team, but you look at... I mean, I've just got it here, actually. There's five drivers at the moment... um,
4: Somebody
3: had a three point five. Ooh. That was uh, so. You've got uh, Pierre Gasly, Nico Cari, Richard Vashur, Dan Tictum and Neil Verhagen uh, An American driver who's in the Euro Formula Three, or oh, sorry, Formula Renault. But then you you look at the numbers that have you know graduated. Um, you know, they do go through them. Um, I mean, Formula former drivers in the my goodness me! I'm scrolling down the Wikipedia page here, and there's probably 50 guys that have been at some point, if not more, in that scheme. And it, it asks the bigger picture: is are these schemes good? And you maybe don't. I, I don't know enough about a lot of the sports over here, the American sports scenes, um, with regards to sort of uh, baseball and American football and the like. But if you take a lot of the the big sottings back in Europe, so you know to drop a few names in, you know, the Arsenals, the Manchester United, Liverpool, Chelsea's in England, you know, the big-name teams that a lot of people would have heard of. Some of them can have up to 100, you know, 14, 16-year-olds on their books, and maybe one out of that 100 will actually make it to the top level, and the other 99 get cast to one side, where they could have gone to a smaller club, but maybe you've had more chance of progressing. And you wonder if it's, it's damaging the careers of some of these guys coming through the Red Bull scheme. I, I don't know.
4: I, I tell you what's interesting is that they are, tour also and I and I'm not, I can't be one to speak about contracts. You know, like, did they talk to some American drivers because it was a USGP? You know, did they go out and try to talk to to, to Rossi or, or, you know, uh, Joseph Newgarden? Guys, guys, that would be very recognizable within the sport somebody like Rossi with previous F1 experience ironically at Coda where he finished 12th uh, just a couple years ago and uh, I think it's funny that we find uh, and this is maybe a really good microscope of how F1 views America in some respects because a team like Red Bull or a team like Toro Rosso might as well be Red Bull um, all the same umbrella would rather admit to an own mistake of saying Brendan Hartley fell through the cracks than to go and maybe get a marketable situation by getting an American and being everybody's favorite that weekend. You know, people wouldn't even recognize Haas F1 being an American team if Tomo Rosso stuck an American in one of their rides. And that's just the nature of it, uh, because drivers are more recognizable than the teams that that lead them.
3: Yeah, no, and you're totally true there. I mean, it is is all driver-centric Formula 1. Uh, you know, a few people that I know, I mean, Ferrari are probably the one brand that people support and will support the drivers, whereas a lot of the other times it is people follow the drivers route. But uh, going back to the Red Bull Junior thing, there's been half a dozen US-based drivers come through, and I mean, the most successful one, unfortunately, I think that says a lot about it, is Scott Speed. Scott Speed, yeah. Uh, yeah, and and when Scott Speed is your most successful driver in a category, you, you're clutching at straws a little bit. Um but it's, you know, it's a shame that they just pick so many guys up. And, yeah, you, you think almost, you know, from a marketing standpoint, and at the end of the day, Red Bull and Toro Russo, more than any other organization in Formula One are a marketing tool, you know, for, for their parent company. Should they have gone out and picked, um, you know, a, a U.S.-based driver, you know, I don't know how all the contracts would have worked with but you know, do they get on the phone to Roger Pensky and say, "Hey, look, we want Joseph Newgarden for a race"? You know, how huge would that have been? Yeah. Now, well, as I say good. all the, you know, and we're living in an ideal world, and you know, everybody's great and everybody's best friends with everybody, and everything <laughs> can happen, but you know, how big would that have been for Indica? How big would that have been for Taro Rosso? You know? That would have been huge. The only person that would have could potentially struggled was Joseph Newgarden if he'd gone in there and hunted them particularly well. Um, but... Well, the the, the other done.
2: thing is, like, the learning curve for um, Hartley would be no more than Newgarden. You know, Hartley, no. they, they just handed him a 50-page manual, the Formula 1-page manual. I don't know if you've heard that story. They just handed him the 50-page Formula one race to read this and then... Uh, Show up on a weekend.
4: And <laughs> you I think, know, so. When we look into a world where F1 is starting to blend again with IndyCar, I think it would have been the perfect situation on both, on both fronts. And to, to your point about Scott Speed, I'll argue this. Uh, maybe that's part of the problem is the fact that that was also at a time when the Red Bull Junior program was towards its infancy – wasn't really ideally good with necessarily talent spotting because let's not forget that at the time it was BMW who had guys like Alexander Rossi had guys like Sebastian Vettel that were coming up through their program they're the ones that were kind of in the ideal situation and Vettel's who Red Bull picked from BMW after he had a drive with with the BMW Sauber team so you know that he more or less kind of resurrected that situation if you will but I'm kind of wondering if, because of that talent spotting back then, if that's not continuing to hurt it. And I think it's interesting that, you know, that situation is going to go on. And we've got Brendan Hartley this weekend, and potentially for the rest of the year, depending on how good of a run he has. That's what's rumored that he could be the pilot uh, teammate to, to Pierre Gasly. And Gasly gets done with Suzuka's uh, Super Formula event for the championship. He's half a point back there, so seeing how that goes out, but. I guess to forward this into the race weekend, because I know we could kind of go off topic talking about all these different side stories, we've got um, Lewis Hamilton holds a 59-point advantage over Sebastian Vettel. Lewis Hamilton's won four out of the five U.S. Grand Prixs at Coda, that the track has hosted. Vettel has won the other one. I think it was 2013. So that is correct,
0: when you look sir. at this,
4: there's 100 points left on the board. Um, when you really look at this situation, you, I mean, I think this is pretty much game over. I'm not saying that this is going to get locked up this weekend because I don't actually expect Ferrari to have another problem now that there's been a bye week, now that we've had some time away to get a chance to look at that problem. I expect both Ferraris to be kind of in the mix for podium, but I do think that this thing is going to be wrapped up before Abu Dhabi. Uh, yeah, certainly. Oh,
2: yeah. Uh, I, I mean, Hamilton could clinch this week, but before we get too deep into talking about coda Chris, had one more comment about the Red Bull program.
1: Yeah, you mentioned uh, Neil Verhagen earlier, um, and this will tie into something I want to talk about later on. He's the only he's the American in the Red Bull program, and he's there because Jeremy Shaw with Team USA Scholarship recommended him to the Red Bull program after he won, won one of the Team USA Scholarships last year but was too young to compete in the Formula Ford Festival last year.
2: And now you'd like to talk about the Formula Ford Festival, I imagine.
1: No, well, after we get to F one. After right, F one, of course. After I mean, F1, well, we yeah, could we're all, a,
2: we're already in overtime, so uh we'll we'll touch on that briefly. But but back to the Grand Prix, yeah. Hamilton could certainly <laughs> wrap this title up this weekend. Um what's it gonna take from uh, from Vettel to really take the fight to him, you know, other than uh hoping an act that of God. hoping for a DNF out of both Mercedes?
4: An act I of mean- God. I mean, you're going to need Vettel. Vettel could very well go win every race, and Hamilton could finish off the podium and fourth every race, and still win this championship. I mean, that's just that's just honestly the kind of the situation that Vettel and Ferrari are in right now, and it's and it sucks because this season had so much promise early on, but and I don't know, it's it's funny. Uh, they've got the speed, they've got the muscle to get to the front, but they don't have the reliability to to sustain it. Just from weird just weird happenings. And I don't remember this being something that happened at Ferrari in the past ever, but these, these off kilter weird scenarios, suddenly they've become that team. They've become the team, the little engine that could, that you hope. And it's like, when did this, you know, these rules changes have really (laughs) implemented a situation where Ferrari is the underdog in every situation. I do think this is certainly a good launching pad into next year because all the same rules are in place. Everything is is pretty much set for continued update. So I think we're going to be running into 2019 with a very even fight because I think a lot of us were caught off guard by how much growth we saw to Ferrari at the start of this year. So And we, we all hoped that that fight would be there but I think for sure we just need one more season to off season to get this thing cleaned up and all the kinks and gremlins ironed out. But I think next year's when we're going to have the show.
2: Yeah. But the scary thing is while, you know, Ferrari is cleaning up their kinks and whatnot, uh, Mercedes is continuing to improve as well. You know, they're, they're not, they're just not sitting back on their laurels. So, but, you know, I hope I'd love to see like a three team battle, um, at the top or a four five team battle at the top of Formula One. But, uh, May not happen in uh, in y'all's lifetime. I mean, you know,
4: <laughs> I, you know the reason I think next year is going to be so good. and I don't want to jump too far ahead without talking more about the Grand Prix. But I think one of the reasons is because of continuity. I think in a year, in a, in a age of motorsports, especially in Formula One, where there's such quick demand and such quick turnover of if you didn't do the job right in one race, you're gone. Kind of thought thought process. I think that it's nice to see. You know. We've seen Mercedes get hit with the with um, oh my gosh, uh, Paddy Lowe, there we go uh, mm-hmm. leaving for for Williams, and I think in a situation where you get certain turnover at Mercedes, you're not finding such high turnover at Ferrari. You're seeing some guys get brought in to help kind of distribute the workload a little bit easier, guys that are a little bit more educated to handle certain workloads, and I think with that, especially the driver lineup, I think that can't be hit enough is the fact that yes you've got engineers that you need to keep and retain but I think more importantly is to keep make sure that you continue the same driver feedback so you can continue the same development direction of the car and I think that's something that it's going to be critical with Botus over the off season now that they're going to have kind of a full off season together with him and Hamilton I think that's going to be very critical to see the growth that they can get out of that car since Rossberg is the one that up and left and last year but I think with Ferrari you've seen the same lineup now for three or four years and I think that's part of the reason you've seen the growth out of that car. is We don't talk enough about guys like, like Vettel and Raikkonen as guys that know how to really develop a car. We've just always seen them perform well and be really, really fast. And now we're seeing where they were, where they flatlined following Alonzo leaving, and how they've kind of come back from that. And I think a lot of that's down to continuity.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So, but let's talk about one of the teams farther back on the grid. That would be our... Charlotte, North Carolina-based Formula 1 team. Haas F1, who will be at their home Grand Prix. Um, these guys had a pretty good outing last go-round. So, uh, Joey, Richard, Chris, what do you think the chance for uh, a Haas car to hit the podium or, or at least to get in the points uh, on uh, on home turf?
3: They had the podium for uh, th- some money. Yeah, I, I, think, that, I think a, a podium is a little bit of a stretch. Um kool-aid uh, there frank not- kool-aid. A dream. yeah <laughs> it's not uh it's not indianapolis in what the 2002 was it or four 2004 wasn't it <laughs> um yeah we're not quite at that level but i think uh i i think you know points are, are on the cards again the issue with them is they've been you know they've been consistently inconsistent this season haven't they yeah. um yeah. some weeks they go there and they're you know challenging for the third round of qualifying with both cars you know Grosjean's getting you know a lot of potential out of that car and then other weeks they'll go there and they'll struggle to get out of Q3 they they look like a new team they make silly mistakes they um you know, they're just not at the races really so if they can you know have that bit of continuity they can carry stuff over from where they were uh two weeks ago at Suzuka then there's every opportunity and there's a very similar circuit in many many ways between the yeah. two there's a lot of fast sweeping corners you know uh, sector 1 at Austin is very, very similar to Sector 1 at Suzuka with those fast-flowing corners. You've got a long, long back stretch and then some other pretty aero-demanding uh, corners around there. So I think fundamentally they'll be in the ballpark again. I think we'll have an opportunity to do that. Uh, but it's just, again, execution. As it is for a lot of these you know, guys in you know the midfield, the, the sort of Toro Rosso, oh, sorry, um, Force India back force injury are probably the most consistent at that midfield but then outside of there you know some weeks Williams are there and other weeks other weeks they're they're struggling and then you know next week it'd be hass's turn to jump up or Renner's turn to jump up or toro rosso's turn to jump up um it's such a you know it's actually if you were to take the top two or three teams out and you know you've got a great great battle with those midfield teams in terms of consistency but uh, you know it, it's anybody's game as to who picks up that sort of Sixth or seventh place back, really?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I like Force India, obviously, with Sergio Perez being being uh, nearby in Mexico. He's going to have a bit, pretty big fan base in Austin, but I think that you know, in Esteban Ocon, I mean, that guy personally, I think he should be fitted for a Mercedes seat at this point because some of what he's done is just ridiculous. But I, but I tell he you,
3: here, sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt on the Ocon. Do you hear coming out of Suzuka, there were some pretty critical comments coming towards him from some of the Force India hierarchy, which was a little bit unusual there. They were very, very critical of his you know, race craft, I guess is the, the better word,
4: which I mean, was they- uh, a
3: little bit unusual considering how, impress- how impressive he's been so far this season. I mean, they're not going to like that considering that they can't
4: keep him, right? I mean, he's a Mercedes guy destined. I I think part of the reason he's not at Mercedes is because could you imagine trying to be Toto Wolff and managing those two personalities of Lewis Hamilton and Esteban Ocon? I mean, anybody that runs well has got a bold personality, a very flamboyant kind of personality that's hard to get along with. Putting two of those in the same room, that would be... Almost like dealing with a toxic environment, like with with some of the stuff that Nicky Lauda has recently said about the relationship with Rosberg and Hamilton, and Rosberg wasn't really an outward
3: diva nearly as much. So, um, <laughs> I think in, I think uh, I think I've heard a few little murmurs yeah, that same. inside <laughs> that team. They were um, he was uh, a little bit of a prima donna, mind you. Both of them were, but um, I, I tell you what, though. I know exactly what you're saying though. Yeah, but
4: I tell you what, on that end. Nico Rosberg and Michael Schumacher were one of the ones were were the pair that were helping develop the car that Carla Lewis Hamilton has had oh, all the success in. So,
3: I, I think that guys like you know Ross Braun and Michael Schumacher and some of those guys deserve a huge amount of credit for what you're seeing uh, out of Mercedes over the last three or four years. Um, I think that gets forgotten a lot of the times, but those were the those are the probably the two most pivotal guys that uh, that set everything up there and and, and generated the most success.
4: Yeah, to to go to go I guess back in full circle back to the point though on on Haas um, Force India is probably going to double points um, I don't like Toro Rosso to double points just if, if Hartley gets points I think he's finishing ninth or tenth if I'm being honest um, and it would be phenomenal if he were to do that considering how tough these cars are to drive you're asking a guy this is a Paul de Resta type situation a guy who has zero experience coming in and hasn't driven single seaters in some time. The one benefit that Hartley has for him is is that the the LMP1 cars are pretty physical in their own right, so he has that going for him. But
3: uh, this so is he
4: knows the does he know the track? Was he in one? Yeah, of the yeah,
3: cars? he, he actually yeah. yeah, so he knows in, the track. Yeah. Well, in t- 2013,
4: he ran the Grand Am race, and that's really what put him on the scene. Is that he was running it, should have won it, and actually had a had a issue mechanical issue on the car that caused him to drop out. But he, he was winning that thing in a walkaway. But um. You know, I think that the critical thing for Haas to get double points here, can they do it? Absolutely. I think, you know, they've been better about their updates throughout the season, whereas last year they were terrible. It was a miracle that Grosjean got 10th. And I think that when you look at this year, it really is going to depend on guys like McLaren and guys like Renault, because I think that their updates are better than than Haas but I think the scenario you run into is is that their reliability is also suffered by how much they've been trying to update that car I think something as simple as DRS going out on on Hulkenberg's car at Japan was was something that you don't really see very often it's not very common with McLaren we're waiting on the bottom to fall out of a Honda again and so you know if they stabilize and Stoffel van Dorn it certainly proved his worth, and we already know that how Alonso is. Um, and there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff going on there. Um, but I guess to that point, can they double points? Absolutely. Um, I kind of want to finish out because I know you said we're in overtime. Um, Alonzo's running the same helmet design. I'm not sure if it's the same helmet that he ran in Indy. But, yeah, so. Design, yeah. And then the other thing is, is. I actually sent uh, an email out to McLaren PR requesting one-on-one time, and one of the things that got brought up was that I might want to be at McLaren breakfast on Saturday morning because I'm pretty sure that means they're going to go ahead and confirm Alonzo. I didn't get told this. I'm speculating. But I'm pretty sure they're going to confirm Alonzo. It's supposed to be done by the USGP, and I'm pretty sure they're going to confirm him to come back next year.
2: That'd be the perfect place to do it, you know, being as how he's kind of a, a grabbed the uh, hearts and minds of uh, the, the American race fan after his uh, month of May. So, uh, Joey, um, I'm looking forward to hearing your report from there.
4: Yeah, it'll be fun. I got a lot of interesting IndyCar stuff I got to do while I'm there, too, because apparently Newgarden's going to be there hanging around.
2: Well, Sean, I'm sure, be ser- I, I'm sure there'll Pius be several.
3: With him. I'm, I'm I should sure not hear any of that.
2: <laughs> I'm sure there will be several IndyCar drivers there hanging around. This is uh, from one United States and uh, uh, just to hang out and see what's up. I'm sure there will be plenty I was of other basketball players football
3: players too. Do you think any of the, any of the IndyCar drivers will have their uh, fire suits and helmets there with them?
4: Near Toro Rosso, I'm sure. Yeah, hey, because uh, yeah, our kid it.
3: doesn't seem to be cracking practice, so why don't you
4: just go ahead and get the Russian out and put me in? Yeah. We had a deal. We had a problem with the Russian ourselves in IndyCar. He, he couldn't get his visa situation fixed. It's
1: that's okay. Why he's American Express.
2: Ooh,
1: that's Ow. funny.
4: Um,
2: all right, guys. Who do you like? Right. Who do you like for the the Grand Prix on Sunday?
4: I'll let you take it, Richard. I'm pretty sure Hamilton's probably your favorite, right?
3: I'm gonna go Ricciardo. Ooh, good pick. Ooh, good pick. Yeah, Seth,
4: you're next.
5: And, of course, somebody takes my pick in this. Uh,
4: (laughs) Why would you pick (laughs) Ricardo and not Hamilton? (laughs) I can't forget last year, though, when when Ricardo made the podium and he made Gerard Butler drink out of the bullshit. Yes. Oh,
2: yeah, I remember that, yeah.
4: Anyway, since Richard took
5: my pick, um, I'll go with Raikkonen.
2: Okay, yeah. Popular pick with Joey. Joey, who you like?
4: I uh, actually don't like Räikkönen to win just because Ferrari's going to tell him. Yeah, yeah, but, him you like, but you like but you
2: like Räikkönen as a driver.
4: Uh, yeah, I mean he's incredibly fast and dynamic personality that'll be missed in the sport once he <laughs> retires.
2: Exactly. Um, <laughs> so who's going to win on Sunday? Hamilton is still out there to pick.
4: Just yeah, he'll, you, and you know what? I'm sure Chris will take him because I'll say uh, I'll say bonus.
2: All right, Chris.
4: I
1: was gonna say Raikkonen, but then he got picked. I was then gonna say like Botas.
4: It's like the then he got picked here. Like, I know, right? Uh, well, so okay. How's a... this? If you want Botas, I'll take Vettel. There, you can have the guy that's, no, that's no, underachieving no, no, since no. his contract, since you know. No, real...
1: no, no. Sure thing, Marco. Anyway, um, if I'm gonna go for somebody different, I'm gonna go with uh, Max Verstappen.
2: Okay, so I'm gonna take Lewis Hamilton. Who's only won the thing like every time they ran it except once?
4: We um, covered it, weren't you listening?
2: Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was listening. Okay, but yeah, I mean, if y'all like, no one's going to pick Hamilton, I'll take him. Uh, and he wraps up the championship. And
4: do you expect Vettel to have it enough? Because that's really like he has to finish out of the points to have that wrapped up in Coda. It could yeah. happen. Are you Are you calling it? Huh? Are you calling it?
2: McCollum, how many DNS of Vettel had this year? More than his share.
4: How many is Hamilton? Less than his share. He's due. Less than a share. Also, okay, he's yeah. also he's also due to probably like in this streak of three in a row at the USGP. I'm just saying streaks streaks end for a reason.
2: This is just- this is what you call cognitive dissonance, right? That's why when you're at the blackjack table and you, it spins red five times in a row, you say, well, it's got to come up black."
1: And then
2: you go ahead and put all on black, and it spins up red.
4: Okay. Well, we'll talk on next week's show
3: when you're wrong, but <laughs> well, all right.
2: It could very well be that I'm wrong, but.
4: Uh, no,
3: it know. will be. It's not very well. It's all right. Definite. So uh,
4: one, one final. If you go
3: down that theory, does it mean that Sauer is you to win a race thing? <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, man. With a, with a year-old Ferrari engine, pass airline takes him to the promised land. <laughs>
2: no, 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 no! You you you're reading the theory backwards. Oh man! Yeah, it's, no, Sabers never do for a race. People, they have, they have too much money. It's always the same person keeps winning. Somebody else is due for a break. I'm
4: that? curious with because the updates that are getting pushed, uh, I'm kind of curious with who brings the best update this week. Like because there's a lot of talk that Renault are bringing a pretty serious update. I don't know how serious, but. Imagine if they're able to challenge for podium. That would be amazing to, to watch Carlos Sainz and Nico Hulkenberg get a shot at a podium in their first go out.
3: It'd be great, though, if uh, if, if uh, Sainz gets a podium and Hul- Hulkenberg still doesn't have a podium.
4: Oh, gosh. That would be nuts, wouldn't it?
3: Like, oh, hey, Well, that also speaks to the level of Jolie and Palmer,
4: doesn't it? Yeah. Ugh. Man. Ugh. Which... You know, Renault, by the way, did say that they're still going to try to help him out with an F1 drive in some capacity as far as trying to seek his opportun- help him seek opportunity for employment, even though he's gone. Yeah. yeah he's, <laughs> he's,
2: okay. Yeah. So his opportunity is going to be to drive the golf cart around and take uh, team members from the garage to the pit lane?
4: I think he'll make a great that, development driver. That'd be a, that'd be a driving
2: Formula one, I guess.
4: Hey, Paul DeRosa was, was a development driver. That's all I'm saying
2: all I'm saying. All right, all I'm saying, guys, is that we are way out of time. Um, I want to thank you, Chris, Seth, Richard, Joey, uh, Gray. You signed off earlier. and appreciate you coming on tonight. Great show tonight, guys. I want to thank uh, Hoopazoo Radio Network, iHeartRadio, and uh, SoundCloud, and all you people that listen to the show. Talk to you next week. Good night.
1: <laughs> W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O, that's a wizard.com.
4: Get inter- website, enter your website, enter your website, enter your website. <noise>